Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing us together today. God, I thank you that you are our salvation. God, I pray and ask that you go with us through the remainder of the service today. God, that for the couple of moments here that we could focus our minds on your word, God, that we wouldn't be distracted, God, of what we might be doing later, but that we would hear your word. God, I pray that your anointing would flow through me, God, that I would speak your word and your word only. In Jesus' name, amen. And you all may be seated. We started this series on the attributes of God, and our theme for this series is we love God because of who he is, not just because of what he does. The first attribute of God that we talked about is holiness. God is holy. Holy means sanctified or set apart. It means not mixed. We're called to be separated from the things of this world, not to be mixed together with the things of this world. And because it's easier said than done, we look to this formula in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. We start with faith. We add holiness even when no one's looking. We add more studying to better understand who God is. We exercise self-control and discipline over the things we can control and patience over the things we can't. And finally, we love people. The second attribute that we looked at last week was his creative power. And I've simply got it summarized up into one scripture. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, period. The attribute we're looking at today is our savior, our salvation. In Exodus 17, verses 15 and 16, this was Moses. They had just, they had just gone to battle with, the, uh, with Amalek, and they had just won, and Moses built this altar, starting in verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Nisi means banner. Jehovah being God, Nisi meaning banner. So he's saying, God is my banner. God is my standard. God is my flag. God is our salvation when we are flying his flag, when we're operating under his banner. When you think about a flag, a flag is what unites people. It's what symbolizes who you are. You could see somebody wearing camouflage, and they could, they could be fighting for many different people. But when you see that American flag, 
the American signet, the American standard on their uniform, you know who they stand with. When you see somebody carrying a flag, you know who they stand with. In the same way, when we're waving God and we're advertising Jesus, people know who we stand with. They know whose banner we're flying under. It also takes the attention off of who you are and speaks to the cause of which you're fighting for. When people, when people look, when I, see, when I see an American soldier do something, I don't, I don't look at them as who they are as an individual. I look at them as one of our troops. I look at them with all of the authority that they represent by carrying that flag. In the same way, when we operate with the banner of God on our life, it's not a reflection of who we are, but rather we are reflecting back to who God is. God can save us in the physical world and God can save us in the spiritual world. But when we're looking at physical saving, some, something very simple that we see from time to time is a healing. Your physical pain, God heals it. Uh, I'm, my sister, she ripped her... Um, one of her knee ligaments. And she was in prayer, and she just felt a tingling sensation in her knee, and it strengthened. It, wasn't, it, didn't, come to, it didn't come to full strength, but she felt an immediate difference. She felt a tingling, and then when she stood up, she could feel the strength that had come back into her knee. God can be our savior in fleshly, physical world problems through healing. Another way that God can be our salvation in a physical world is exemplified by Moses and the children of Israel leaving Egypt. God can break bondage. Moses is trying to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He goes to Pharaoh. The Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And so Moses stretches out his hand or stretches out his rod over the river, and all of the water turned to blood. All of the water they had around turned to blood. There was no fresh water left in all of Egypt. And this brought Pharaoh to a very complicated point where he's trying to get around this. And yet he had to bow his knee. And so the water, the blood gets turned back into water, and then Pharaoh hardens his heart again and says, I'm not going to let your people go. Second time, Moses says, let my people go. Let them go into the wilderness to worship. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let them go. And then frogs. There's frogs everywhere. There's frogs in the house, frogs in the streets, frogs in your food. Just like sitting down eating, you got frogs jumping all over your table. That was life. In Exodus 8 8, 
Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go that they may go do sacrifice unto the Lord. If God will just take my pain away, I'm done sinning. If you do this for me, God, I'm going to give my life to you. It was some quid pro quo. Okay, take the frogs away, and I'm going to let the people go. I'm done. I'm laying this down. But you know what? When adversity left and reality hit, Pharaoh changed his mind, and he again hardened his heart. Lice, gnats, flies. When the flies came, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God, but in this land. Pharaoh said, Worship from home today. Pharaoh said, You guys can worship, but you're not leaving. But that wasn't what God was asking for. God said, Let my people go. And we see this conflict building. Livestock are dying. Boils. Hail, Exodus 9, 20-22. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the house. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand towards heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man, upon beast, upon every herb of the field, and through the land of Egypt." When you fear God, you have to take a stand. It says that he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh. These aren't the Israelites. These are the servants of Pharaoh. Made his servants and his cattle flee into the house. They knew the hail was coming and they were preparing for it. Exodus 9, 34 through 35. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunderstorms were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. We see this again. After the pain was gone, he went back. When it stopped hurting him, he went back. When the conviction stopped, he went back. Why did he keep going back? Because he doesn't understand who God was. He only understood what God was doing. In Pharaoh's mind, he really thought he could win this war against God. He wasn't ready to submit to the power and the authority of God. He was holding something back in himself. He wasn't going to let this go. Well, you can't mock God. He wins. I read the back of the book. He wins. Exodus 10, 8 through 11. And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. And he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God, and they shall go. But who all shall go? So there's locusts in the land now. Because Pharaoh hardened his heart again. Wouldn't let him go. There's locusts all over the land. Pharaoh's frustrated. Goes and gets Moses and Aaron and says, Okay, you guys can go, but who all is going to go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. 
And Pharaoh said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, and I will let you go, and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, that ye did, for ye, that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh said, who all is going to go? They said, we're going to take men, women, and children. And Pharaoh said, no, the men can go. We're keeping the women and children. You can't negotiate with God. When God says, I want everything, you can't just say you can only have part of it. God says, I want everything. And Pharaoh says, well, you can only have part of it. Darkness falls in the land for three days. And we again see this again. It's dark for three days. Nobody can see anything. It's the darkest, darkest ever been. And Moses, or Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron and says, okay, take the people. The lights come back on. And Pharaoh says, hold on, you can't take the people. Then we get into the death of the firstborn child. Exodus 11.10 And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of the land. Up until this point, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. We see here now that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We're on the 10th plague. Pharaoh's playing mind games with the Israelites, they feel like. You're stuck in bondage under this tyrannical Pharaoh. <coughs> and, and you're watching his world fall apart around him. And he says, okay, you guys can go worship God. I'll let you guys out of bondage. I'll let you guys go. And then he changes his mind. And then here it goes again. You see another plague come. You know, just waiting it out. And then he says, okay, you guys can leave. I'll let you go. And you start to get excited. Then he changes his mind. But now we see here in the scripture that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It'd be kind of frustrating. Like, why can't we just find favor with God? I had somebody ask me about this one time. You know, why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? And I found an answer this morning, I think. But we'll get to that in a minute. As you continue reading down to Exodus, Exodus 3 through 5, 11, Exodus 11, 3 through 5. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. This scripture tells me that people were watching. All of Pharaoh's, all of the Egyptians were watching what was going on. They were watching this battle between Aaron and Moses and the Pharaoh. And they recognized the power that Moses and Aaron had. They recognized the power about God. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all of the firstborn of the beasts. This here is the real test. This wasn't about being an Egyptian or an Israelite. 
wasn't about who your mom or your daddy was. This moment was about your submission to God. How crazy is it to think, oh, you know what, we're just going to go to our house and we're going we're gonna to kill the animal and we're going to paint the blood right onto our doorpost. That's silly. And I'm sure there was some people that took a step back and they thought, what are people going to think if I go into a house that's got blood on the door? Or, or man, that's really going to stink. I can't do that. That's, that's going to smell bad. These people that were dressed for travel... You know, you can almost see them, you know, bumping. Hey, did you hear they said they think they're actually going to leave this time? Those crazy people. This wasn't, this was the real test. It wasn't just about being an Israelite or an Egyptian. But this was about choosing a side. So you've got the children of Israel following the instruction. They're prepared. They're ready to go. They're out of bondage. They're free. Now reality sets in as they leave. After Pharaoh once again says, you guys can go. They're out in the wilderness and reality sets in. When we walk away from some things in life, it sounds easy in the moment. But all of a sudden, reality sets you think I'm going to change my ways, I'm going to do things a little different, I'm going to draw a line in the sand, we're not going back, and then reality sets in. In Exodus 14, 10 through 14, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians marching after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, so they finally got out of Egypt, they finally made it into freedom, and they look behind them, and there's their past chasing them. There's Egypt, their bondage, chasing them. Pharaoh's heart has been hardened again, and he's chasing them. And now they're scared. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us like this, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we can just serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. They just got out of bondage, and now they want to go back. Why? Because their love for God was only as far as what he did for them. They didn't understand who he was. They didn't understand the depth of his love and his care for them. And in their, in their humanistic thinking, as they see the Egyptians chasing after them and pursuing them, they got scared. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians who you, whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. In modern vernacular, we would just say, Moses said, stand back and watch this. In my very visual way of thinking, as I was reading this, 
I was thinking of that saying that goes, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> it's used as a summarization of, of something crazy that happened, something that somebody did something that was impossibly stupid, that the only explanation is they must have been drunk. And so it's kind of a tagline, hold my beer and watch this. But what Moses said was hold your peace. Being a little little liberal with the scripture, but as a, the, God is our Prince of Peace. Moses is saying, "Hold your peace." Moses is saying, "Hold on to God, and watch what He's going to do." Lay down your physical way of thinking. Lay down your limited, your finite thinking, and understand that we have the Creator of the universe on our side, someone who loves separation, that wants to separate his people from their bondage into holiness. And we're about to find out that he is our salvation. If you can hold your peace, God can do the impossible. It doesn't matter what rises up in your life. If you can hold your peace and let God fight that battle, you will see a victory. Amen. It's God's way or no way. In Jeremiah 51, 58, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. The context of the scriptures, this is a prophecy of the, of, a, of the doom of, I think it was the doom of Babylon. Yeah, the broad wall of Babylon should be leveled. It's the doom of Babylon. And what he says here is the people labor for nothing and the nations weary themselves only for fire. There was some people that were watching or going to watch those walls crumble that were going to fight it. They were going to stand against it. Why is my world crumbling? And they're trying to fix it rather than understanding what God was already working on. They labor for nothing. When God says something to motion, you can't stop it. You don't want to be on the opposing side of God. It says there in the last, in the last line, the nations weary themselves only for fire. So the nations are, are they're trying to stand against the fire. But you can't stand against God. They, they may not have been wrong in their thinking. They may not have even, even been defiant to God. There was probably some innocent people whose lives were being impacted. And they may have been crying out, God, why are you doing this to me? Why have you forsaken me? Because they're finite thinking. They don't understand what God is doing. Psalms 127, 1 through two says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. The scripture is saying, don't worry about it. You can try to build anything you want to build, but unless the Lord is building it, your work is in vain. I think this runs even deeper to something that happens frequently in the church. 
because we're trying to do a good thing. We have goals. We have aspirations. We're going, God, why are you not here? Why are you not helping? Why does it feel like every time I try to step out and do something, it falls apart? It's not that what you're doing is wrong. It's that what you're doing is not God's plan for you in that moment. And when you can take that step back and say, okay, God, I'm not going to stress about what you're not working out. I'm going to let you handle it. God will take care of you. may not take care of you the way you think he's going to take care of you. He's probably not going to do things your way. (laughs) But he will take care of you. Because you're flying under his banner. He takes care of his people. Psalms 37, 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land. And verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth the righteousness as the light, and the judgment as the noonday. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. I've heard that scripture pull out of context many times that God's going to give you what your heart desires. But when you delight yourself, when you're happy with more God, he's going to give you what makes you happy, which is more God. Delight yourself in the Lord. When you set your desires on the things of God, and in the next verse, when you commit your ways unto the Lord, he's going to bring it to pass. When what you're trying to do is aligned with what God is trying to do, the path has a way of working its way out. It doesn't always happen the way that we think it is. We can come to roadblocks. We can walk rough paths. You just have to understand that just because you're on a rough path doesn't mean God's forsaking you. It just means that in that moment, God's got something else brewing. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. You don't have to understand what's going on, church. You just have to understand that God's got it. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. As long as you keep going back to him, say daily, but multiple times a day. Is this where I'm supposed to be, God? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? As long as you've got yourself aligned with him and you're reading his word. I think some people, sometimes we pray, we ask God to speak to us, and he's given us 66 books of the Bible to speak to us. Lord, I need a word from you. God's way or no way. There's only one way you got church, and it's God's way. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In Exodus 14, 16 through 18, this is God speaking to Moses. He says, But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall be on dry ground through the midst of the sea. We see the solution coming. The children of Israel came up to their rock and their hard, came up to their hard place. They're caught between a river and the Egyptians. They don't know what to do. Moses says, hold on. Just watch and see what God's going to do going to do the impossible. God splits the water, and I behold will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So there he says right there, God says, I'm hardening the hearts of the Egyptians. They are so steadfast on hurting my people. 
I'm allowing this to happen. I've hardened their hearts. They're not going to relent. They're not going to turn back. And I will get me honor unto Pharaoh upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten my honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. This is why God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could have his way with Pharaoh. You don't mess with God's people. You don't fight God. The reason why God hardened Pharaoh's heart was because Pharaoh had already turned his back so hard on God that God was ready to destroy him. And in this moment, Pharaoh, in his hardened heart, all he wanted to do was catch those Israelites that he wasn't thinking rationally about the decision he made to try to cross the Red Sea. And those waters crashed in on him. And God had his way. You see a little bit farther into Exodus, in Exodus 17, that the Israelites are at battle with Amalek. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his his hand, Amalek prevailed. When Moses had his hands up in the air, the Israelites were winning. When he dropped his hands, Amalek was winning. But Moses' hands were heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, so he was able to sit there. And Aaron and Hur stayed at his hands, one on each side and the other on the other, and his hands were were steady until the going down of the sun. I think there's some symbolism here to why we raise our hands in church. We see this principle here. We can see it through experience. That when you raise your hands in worship, God wins. Raising your hands is also a universal sign of surrender. That when we can raise our hands and surrender it to God, God wins. Exodus 17, 11 and 12, and it came to pass, oh, sorry, 15 and 16. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek for generation to generation. Nisi means banner. Let's all stand as the musicians come. God is our salvation when we are flying his flag. Colossians 3.17, whatsoever ye do in word or spirit, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and the Father by him. When you're flying the banner and you're under his authority, no one can stand against you. If someone is standing against you, then you either aren't under his banner or God's working on something bigger. But that banner is the name of Jesus. Which brings us to the spiritual side of salvation. In Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. When you get baptized into that name, you are under the banner of the name of Jesus. It is the application of the blood of Christ through baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost that is that banner. Jesus conquered 
death, hell, and the grave. John 3, 3 through 7, there was a man that came to Jesus, Nicodemus, and he asked, How should I be saved? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can I be born when I am old? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I have said unto thee, Ye must be born again. We need physical salvation to save us from some of the trials and tribulations of this world. But we need spiritual salvation to save us from the problem that is this world. If knowing that God is a banner you can carry here on earth isn't enough, then just think of the banner of you flying with him in heaven. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about heaven, but it does tell us that it's a mansion. It does tell us that everybody's going to be clothed in clean, clean white clothes. We're going to have large feasts. Nobody's going to be hungry. It's never going to be night. It's never going to be thirsty. After going through this past week, never being thirsty again sounds great. There's going to be no pain there. There's no death in heaven. And we won't feel any sorrow. We will forever be in the presence of God. Heaven will be better than any human can comprehend. Humans won't even know how to describe heaven, and I plan to be there. Because as I gain a deeper understanding of who God is, it just makes me love him even more. Yeah. If, you want to go to, if, you, if you want to go to heaven, let's come around these altars for a few moments. We're going to pray for three things. The first thing we're going to pray is love. I love God because of who he is. We're going to tell him that I love you, God, because of who you are. The second thing is alignment. It's going to be repentance. You're going to let go of anything in your heart that is separating you from God. And the last thing is going to be acceptance, allowing God to handle things his way and his timing. It's going to be love, telling God you love him because of who he is. Alignment, letting go of anything in your heart that's separating you from God and acceptance. Allowing God to handle things in his way, in his time. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I love you. God, I love you because of who you are. God, you are holy. You are separate. God, you keep me from the things of this world. God, you are a difference, God, than the pains we have to feel in this world. 